to be back. Did y'all miss me? I missed you a little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Well, hey, my name is Byron. And if you're new, I get the great privilege and the honor to be the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. And I am so excited for you to join us today, everybody in the overflow and everybody who is watching online, because today is a great day because we get to do one of our favorite things. We get to open up and start a brand new book of the Bible. How many of you guys love studying the books of the Bible? Today, we're going to start our nine-week sermon series through the book of 1 Peter that we are calling Christians are crazy. Because guess what? Some of y'all crazy. Some of y'all crazy, right? Some more crazy than others, but nevertheless, Christians are crazy. And here's where the title comes from. It comes from a conversation I had with a coworker. Um, whenever me and Ashley were living in Houston, before I was a pastor, I was waiting tables, working at a restaurant. And I think that I might've been like the only Christian in the front of house staff. And after work, we'd get off, we'd go sit out on the, the front porch and we'd hang out with all the different uh, servers who were there. And there was this one guy, his, his name was Josh. And uh, we built a pretty good working relationship. And he was raised in the church, but as he got older, he kind of rejected the faith, uh, deconstructed, some people would say today, and he is no longer a Christian. But when we would talk, because I just can't help it, like, I just love talking about Jesus. And so eventually, our conversations would come back around to matters of faith, sincerely held beliefs, religion, spirituality, and of course, Jesus. And after several conversations like this, one day he just kind of, you know, spoke frankly to me, said, Byron, you do know that what you Christians believe is, is crazy. And I said, well, what do you mean crazy? I, how, how would you say that? He's like, well, I mean, I know, I know the Christian faith. I, I grew up in it. And so I just don't agree with it because it just doesn't make any sense to me. I said, well, how would you, what, what are you talking about? I said, so you really mean to tell me that you believe that God created the, the universe in seven days. And I said, well, technically six, and on the seventh day he rested. But, um, but yeah, he said, you do understand that's crazy, right? Like nobody believes that. That's, that's crazy. But you also believe that there is a, there's a God in heaven who became a man and entered into this world named Jesus and said, yes. He said, that's crazy. And then you believe this Jesus was born of a virgin? That's crazy. And while he was alive here on earth, he healed people, performed miracles, he walked on water, and then he died. And then three days later, he rose from the dead? That's crazy. And then you believe that right now he's up in heaven where at any moment he's going to come back riding on a cloud? That's crazy. You do understand that what we believe as Christians is it's a little crazy. But here's the temptation that I had. I, I, I tried to not feel crazy, and I, I tried to justify it. I was like, well, no, no, like, you just don't really understand. And I tried to explain it a little bit better, and I tried to, try to make it more palatable, because here's what I thought inside, that if Josh would think I'm cool, then maybe Josh might think that Jesus is cool. 
But here's what I've discovered. I, I feel that tension within our society or maybe at work or in relationships that you have this temptation to try to hide back from what you really believe, not to be as vocal as you kind of want to on the inside or maybe water it down or maybe add different things to your belief or not really share things because you're worried about what other people are going to say about you, what they're going to think about you or the way they're going to treat you based upon what you believe. And then there's this temptation inside of all of us to, to pull back or try to make Jesus cool. But here's what I've discovered is that Christianity is not cool. Christianity is a little crazy. Like what we believe is, is a little crazy. But here's the thing is the moment you try to make following Jesus cool is the moment you rob the gospel of all of its power and you steal your unique identity that Christ has already given to you. You cannot make Christianity cool because God from the very beginning, he always intended for us to be a little bit crazy. And so over the next nine weeks, here's what we're going to learn from 1 Peter is, is to stop trying to be cool and to start embracing the crazy. To stop trying to be cool, to stop trying to be relevant, to stop trying to fit in and just embrace the authentic, weird, odd, crazy Christian life that Jesus has planned for us. And many of you, you feel that same temptation when you look at society, when you look at the culture, when you look at the trends, when you get on social media, maybe talk to your friends or coworkers, or for those of you who are in college, you feel that temptation, you feel that pressure that is placed on you to try to shrink back, to try to pull back, to try to edit the message of the gospel and what we believe. But here's what I just want to remind you. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 33, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. Christianity is not cool. Stop trying to make Christianity cool. And it's time for us to start getting a little bit crazy. I don't know about you, but when I consider the alternative, I kind of want to be crazy. When I like consider what's normal and common and mainstream, when I look out across the world, when everybody's you know, outraged and upset and every single month there's new something that you have to virtue signal and there's another hashtag you have to put on your Instagram bio in order for you to be accepted and fitted, like I, I'm just tired of trying to be cool. I just don't know about you, but like, I'm just tired of trying to fit in, tired of trying to blend in, tired of trying to water down what it is that I truly, genuinely, actually believe. What I consider the alternative, what's, what's normal today? Normal is divorce. Normal is children being raised on iPads and and TV, what's normal? Depression, anxiety, medication, what's normal? Pornography is normal. What's, what's normal? Sexual confusion, gender confusion amongst teenagers and children. I mean, what's, what's normal in the world? Every single month, it seems like there's a new protest. Someone's setting something else on fire. When you scroll through everything, do you really think people seem to be thriving, living the happy, you know, joy-filled life? living their best life. No, everybody's on Instagram trying to be the person that they pretend to be. I don't know about you, but normal is not working because God has a different way. God has a better way. And his way, some people might say, it's crazy. But it's crazy because it's true. In a world where people love lies, truth looks a little crazy. And so for us as Christians, we cannot try 
to make Christianity cool. We just need to live out the authentic Christian life despite people thinking that we're crazy. And here's why. Because cool Christianity is compromised Christianity. Right? Progressive Christianity is pagan Christianity. Relevant Christianity is rebellious Christianity. Right? There is no new lies. There's only old lies with better marketing. There are no new heresies. There's old heresies that are repackaged and distributed across a new generation. Right? We cannot water down the message. We cannot edit the message. We are not called to be God's editors. We're called to be God's messengers. And that's the message. That's the life. That's the purpose. That's the reason that God has us here today in 2022, in this moment, in this time, in this season, and in this culture that we live in. And it's time for us to stop trying to be cool and start being a little crazy. And so I just want to say something. Somewhere, somehow, there's this myth that has gotten out about Redemption Church that we're the cool church. Oh, the pastor has tattoos and his wife's got blue hair. <laughs> they have come as you are on the wall when you walk in. They're, they're, they're edgy. They're, they're hip. Like, it's the cool church. They're just trying to be cool. Listen, we ain't trying to be cool. If you're coming looking for the cool, edgy, progressive church, you're at the wrong church. That's not who we are. And I don't really care about what people's opinions or thoughts are whenever they come in, if they get offended or if they, they feel triggered, if they want to go or whatever like that. Because at the end of the day, my job is not to, to have you like me and have the message that I preach. At the end of the day, my job is to be faithful before a living and holy God. And as a pastor, my job is to open up the Bible and to preach what God's word says. And if you don't like it, then you can take it up with him. I'm just the middleman standing between the two. We're not here to be cool. And some people, they might look and they say, it's crazy. But guess what? Redemption after after six years, we're just getting started. You ain't even seen crazy yet. Because here, here's, here's what we believe. What we believe is crazy. What do we believe? We believe there is one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that he created the heavens and the earth. That's what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. We believe in the authority of the scriptures. We believe in the reliability of the scriptures that will apply. We believe that this word is God's word, and God's word is true. It's trustworthy. We believe it because God said it says it and that settles it for us we believe that jesus christ became a man and he lived the perfect life died the painful death in our place for our sins and three days later he resurrected and he rose from that grave where he is ascended and seated at the right hand of the father where he will one day judge the living and the dead this is what we believe and i know it might sound crazy to some but it's true here's what we believe we believe in the bible all of it, which means we also believe that marriage is between one man and one woman in the context of a covenant for life. And those two words right there, man and woman, we believe in those words too. We believe that God made us male and female and that gender is not assigned at birth, but gender is assigned by God. And we have no right to be able to change or to alter that. That's what we believe. We believe that life begins at conception and abortion is murdered. That's what we believe here at Redemption Church. And some people might look out and say, that's crazy. You know what? It is because it's in the Bible. And the way that the 
world thinks and the way that the word speaks are antithetical to one another. And so as a Christian, if you live this way and believe and behave in this light, many people are going to think you're crazy. But here's what also is true. We believe that each and every one of you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, which indwells inside of you to give you boldness. We believe that each one of you has supernatural spiritual gifts that you are endowed with power to be able to be faithful and overcome sin and temptation. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the name above all names. He is the Lord above all lords, the king above all kings, and that he will one day return. And at his second coming, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And some of you are saying, Byron, that's crazy. I know it's crazy. And it's crazy true. It's crazy awesome. It's crazy amazing. And if you believe it, then you will become crazy like me. This is what we believe, and this is why Christianity cannot be compromised with the teachings of the world or this life. We have to learn how to embrace the crazy, embrace the awkwardness, embrace the moment, we have to learn how to embrace the time and the season that we are living in. And that's what we're going to learn for the next nine weeks. Dear Christian, my hope and goal for this series is you would stop worrying about what other people say and you would start worrying about what God says. You would stop living out of the fear of man and you would start living from the fear of God. You would stop living for the approval of others and you would start living from the approval of your father and that you would stop trying to be relevant, but you would start being obedient to what God has empowered and called and chosen and placed you here in this church, in this time, in this city, in this world, in this moment for this. And so that's what we're going to be studying over the next Nine weeks. How many of y'all ready to get crazy? Anybody ready to get crazy? Want to be weird? Want to be crazy? Yeah, we're, we're just getting started. So I want to give you three reasons that Christians are crazy. Now, I do need to say this. When I say we're crazy, we're going to be crazy about our beliefs. We're going to be crazy about our faith. We're going to be crazy about standing out. But we're still not going to bring tambourines and flags to church. We're not that kind of crazy, all right? <laughs> Like the worship team, they practiced and you weren't there, all right? And so you can just leave your tambourine at home. For the rest of us, we're going to live out our faith with boldness. Amen? Amen? Why are we crazy? Number one, because you are elect and exiles. Here's what he says. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter. Let's pause right there. Who's Peter? Peter is the author of the book. He is the leader over the disciples. Jesus During his time on earth, he selected 12 men that he would raise up and one day send them out to transform the world. 12 men. Today, Christianity is about 3 billion people. 2,000 years ago, 12. And Peter was the senior leader. On the day of Pentecost, whenever the Holy Spirit fell, when they looked to somebody to preach the first sermon, Peter's the one who stood up and Peter preached. And on the day, 3,000 people were added to the church and believed. And Peter was the pastor over this large church at the very beginning. And now he's writing a letter to bring encouragement and hope and confidence to the Christians while they are what? While they are elect exiles of the dispersion. We're talking about that. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Say it like you know what you're talking about. Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ 
And for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I want you to look at this word right here. It's the dispersion, okay? What does that word mean? It doesn't mean gathered. It means scattered. They are dispersed. Well, why is that? Well, here's the reason why. Because when Christianity first started, they were weird. They were crazy. They just didn't fit in. It's one of the reasons why Jesus was executed because the religious people, he didn't follow their rules. And then the the Roman government, they viewed him as a threat. Well, that continued on through the disciples as well. And the way that they lived their life, the way that they viewed gender and sexuality, the way they viewed money and family, the way that they viewed generosity and all the different things that they did, most people just thought these people are strange. They just don't fit in. They just don't belong. They're a little crazy. And as the pressure of the outside world from both the religious rites and then the, the, the pagan Roman government, they began to press down on those early believers. They began to arrest them throw them in jail, persecute them. The religious people said, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to do worse to you next time. And then the Roman government, they began to write laws saying that Christians must worship the emperor as God, and the Christians refused to do it. And all of a sudden now there's legalities and there's laws that the Christians are breaking, and they refuse to break those laws because they want to be obedient to the Lord. And what originally started off as them just being crazy all of a sudden became them being a threat. And now they can no longer stay in their homes. In Acts chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen. He's murdered. And then in Acts chapter 12, there's another man named James. He's murdered. And after the murder of these two church leaders, what happens? All of the believers in Jerusalem, they disperse. Now they're traveling to Pontus and to Galatia to Cappadocia, and to Bithynia because they are no longer safe. They they don't have their homes, their family, their jobs, their livelihood. And in fact, right after this letter is written, just by a couple of decades, Nero becomes the emperor, and he begins to feed him the dogs and set him on fire for his dinner parties. Like, that's why whenever people are like, Christianity is cool, I'm like, look at the past 2,000 years, bro. That is not the word that anybody would use to describe us. Like, we might have had a good run in the 90s with their WWJD bracelets, but for the most part, we've always been a little bit on the outside. We've always been a little crazy. And so Peter's their pastor, and he loves them, and he cares for them. And his church is now all over the place, and he can't gather with them, and so he writes them a letter to share all across the churches to encourage them and to bless them and to build them up when everybody else is saying they're crazy. And that's what we're we're looking at. It's the dispersion. And and what's the word that he uses to describe? He says they're exiles. So what does that mean to be an exile? It means you don't fit in. It means you don't belong there. It means you're ostracized. It means you're ridiculed. It means you're a threat means you have no home, you're an alien, a stranger, a sojourner. This world just doesn't belong. He says, you're an exile. That's, that's your idea. What, is it, what does it look like to be an exile? Let me give you an illustration to better help you kind of bring this up into modern day. Do you remember when you were a kid and you played kickball? Who else besides Trevor was picked last? Anybody else? <laughs> no? 
Okay, if you were picked last, let me see. Okay, meet me in the altars. We're gonna have inner healing after service, all right? <laughs> all right, you're, you're picked last. Do you remember how awkward that felt? Like, that's society today. Let me, let me explain to you, right? So everybody's lining up. Every single month, there's some new thing to get upset about. And on Twitter, all the teams are lining up and they pick them with hashtags. Okay, so what you do is you, you line everybody up. So, okay, so there's the, um, there's, here's the climate control people over there. And then here's the, um, here's the vax people who are still wearing their mask while they're driving the car. And here's the anti-vax people who think that the, um, the mark of the beast is inside of the chip or the vaccine. And then over here, what we got, we got the Black Lives Matter people. They get a little ski mask and a, and a picket sign. And here's all the MAGA people, and they get a nice little red hat. Okay, over here, we have all the LGBTQ plus I LMNOP people. And then over here, we have all the abortion activists. And then we have the feminists, even though they don't know what a woman is, but they still are feminists. And, and so we line everybody up, all right? And then there's the Muslim kid in the back. All right, and everybody's all lined up. And every single month when something goes viral or when something trends or there's some new cultural moment that we need to be outraged about, all of a sudden what happens? Everybody starts picking their teams, okay? I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. I'll put your pronouns in my bio. I'll take you, I'll post your square. I'm gonna take you, take you. I'm gonna march for you. And everybody lines up. All the teams are picked. Who wants the Christian kid? Anybody? Anybody want the Christian kid, the awkward kid in the back? Nobody wants him? Aw, nobody picked you. You know why? Because they don't want you. Because right? you're an obstacle to their progress. You're just a hurdle that just keeps getting in the way. Every time they post something, you're like, but what about shut up, you bigot? Right? You write some real long, logical, well-thought-out reason for something, nobody reads it, post a meme, gets shared 17 million times. Yeah. Right, so, so nobody picked you. Like, right, look at all the different communities. They're, they're not picking you to be a part of, of their team. But here's the good news. Jesus picked you. Right. Jesus picked you. Yeah. He says, you are elect Exiles. What does that mean? That means Jesus picked you, that Jesus selected you, Jesus chose you before the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit by the Son. Jesus picked you. Jesus wants you on his team. He chose you. He loves you. He adores you. He wants you. He cares for you. He selected you. And so you don't have to seek the approval of man when you've already been approved by God. And when you live your life, Life out of the acceptance of Jesus, just be prepared to handle the rejection of man. Wow. Listen, dear Christian, here's what I want you to know, is that you were not called to fit in. You were chosen to stand out. In a world filled with copies, be an original. In a world filled with counterfeits, be the authentic. Dead, dead things can go with the stream. It takes something being living and alive to go against it. You were not called to fit in, but you were chosen by God to stand out. You are elect and you are exiles. This is the identity that we have as believers here in this cultural moment. So do not try to fit in when you are called to stand out. What, what does fitting in look like? Go ahead. If you want to fit in, 
Put the pronouns in your bio. Put the hashtag on your post. Post the square. Get the t-shirt. Go march in the rally. Join the parade. Everybody's doing that. The counterculture is the common culture. Right? I mean, when, when you see things online, everyone's like, yeah, that's so amazing. And I'm like, you have everyone applauding for you. How, how is that brave? One person says something contrary, and dozens of comments get in there, and they start calling them all sorts of names. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe. You're a transphobe. You're, 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 you're an extreme radical, even though up until the last five minutes, everybody held the same beliefs. Hey, this is what's called gaslighting, by the way. Do you know that? When other people try to make you feel like you're the crazy one, when they're really the ones who are enacting all of the different pains and problems, and then they point the finger at you like, you're the problem. Wait, what? How am I, am I the crazy one? This is the society that we live in. You want to fit in, do what everybody else is doing. But if you want to be countercultural, if you want to be weird, if you want to be crazy, like if you just want to be a freak, here's how you do it. You read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you tie 10%, you teach your kids Jesus loves them and Marxism has failed every single time that has been tried. You teach your kids to grow up, make a difference and love Jesus for the rest of their life. This is, this is, this is what you do to be weird. Because you know what? Nobody's doing that anymore. It's like, it's like faithfulness to Jesus is the only rebellion left in this world. You are not called to fit in. You are chosen by God for you to stand out. And so stop worrying about what people think and start busying yourself about what God has to say about you. What does it say in verse two? It says, God is what? God's a father. Okay, this week, my daughter Esther, she started kindergarten. So let me show you pictures here on her first day of kindergarten. Oh, look how beautiful she is. We took this picture, and um, as, as we went inside, she was so nervous. I don't know if you remember starting kindergarten. It's a big deal, right? She was so nervous. She's starting a new school, and she came up, and she gave me a big hug, and she looked at me, and she kind of whispered, and she said, Daddy, do you think the other kids are going to think I'm cool? And I turned around, and I pulled her close. I said, oh, baby, look, look at me. I said, if, if somebody doesn't like you, that's their problem, not yours. And if someone doesn't approve of you, your daddy does. And I think you're cool. And your mom thinks you're cool. And your sister, she looks up to you. And you have an entire church that loves you. And Jesus thinks you're cool. And so if somebody doesn't like you, that's their problem. That's not yours. And that says more about them than it says about you. And so don't worry about what people think. Now, she's five. You're 40. We should have outgrown this by kindergarten. But yet still, there's the societal pressure that all of us feel to fit in and belong. But you don't need to fit in when you already belong in the kingdom of God. Your identity is elect and exiles, and God is your father. And if they don't like you, they could go talk to your dad. That's your identity. You're elect, you're in exile. Number two, you're blessed and you're burdened. As we continue, here's what it says next. It says, blessed be to God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. It, it, it has an exclamation point. You know what? When you read an exclamation point, you get excited. Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh, 
excited when you read an exclamation point. When you read an exclamation point in the Bible, you don't read it like this. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. No. When you read it, you go, blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. And that's why people think you're crazy. Here we go. <laughs> According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. That's amazing. Great mercy, born again to what? To a living hope. Where? Through the resurrection of the Jesus Christ from the dead. But that's not all. There's more. How much more? Much more. Tell them what they get, Bob. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Where? Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. How many of you love the blessing sermon? You're blessed. You're like, yay, pastor, tell me how blessed I am. You are blessed and highly favored. You are the head and not the tail. That's who you are. You are blessed. Blessed be, amen, hallelujah. Keep reading, pastor, and you're grieved by various trials. Oh. You love the blessing sermon? Yay! The burden sermon? Boo. Okay, but here's what you need to know. Two things exist simultaneously at the same time. There's blessings and there's burdens in life. And oftentimes they happen at the same time. And so if you love the blessing sermon, welcome, we love you. You need to hear the burden sermon. And if you're feeling burdened, welcome, we love you. You need to hear the blessing sermon because we need to have both. And so God here in his... Wisdom, he's going to teach us how to be blessed and how to be burdened. Here's what he says. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold. That perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in a praise and a glory and an honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you did not, do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want you to know you're elect and you're in exile. You're blessed, and at the same time, you're burdened. You're blessed. And some of you say, but pastor, I really feel stressed. Okay, you can be stressed while being blessed, but either way, you're still blessed. You're blessed. That's a great blessing that he has, and he wants to remind you of this great blessing. But oftentimes, here's what happens, is we focus on the burdens, we miss out on the blessings. I saw a man, he's an entrepreneur named John Acuff. I watched him at a conference. He spoke on what he calls critic's math. Here's what a critic's math is. He wrote a number one bestseller, and every day he would get on, and he would read the Amazon reviews, and he would have hundreds of five-star reviews. But you know that's not what he read first. Like, what do you read first? When you're trying to buy something, you want to watch a movie, or what do you do? You go read the, the reviews, right? How many of y'all click on the one-star reviews first? That's what I do, right? That's what I do. Go read what the one-star reviews say. And he would sit there all day, and he would read the one-star reviews. And the more successful his book became, the more depressed and miserable he became. Why? Because all he did was focus on the negative. And so he, he said this is called critic's math. 100 positives plus one negative equals one negative to an unhealthy and insecure soul. 100 positives, one negative equals one negative. That's the way many of us live our lives. 
We so focus on the burdens and the troubles and the trials and the testing that we miss out on the blessings that are happening all around us. And so here's what I want to do. I want to remind you that the blessings of God outweigh the burdens of life. The blessings of God, you are blessed. You are loved by God. You are adored. You have been saved. You have been set free. You have been delivered. You have been created by hand. You have been chosen. You have been, you have been loved. He answers your prayers. He knows you. He knows you by name. That's how blessed you are. The blessings of God far outweigh the burdens of this life. And so what I want to do is I want to help you count your blessings. What do you do? Number one is you, you count your blessings. In this section, there's eight blessings that he wants for us to hold on to, eight blessings blessings that are there for you. The first blessing is this. It's grace. Isn't grace amazing? It's so amazing they wrote a song about it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Think about who you were before you met Jesus and who you are now because of Jesus and who Jesus is making you become. All of that is grace. Number two is peace. You know what the world doesn't have right now? Peace. But you know what Christians have? Peace, because the problems out there are not the same problems we face in here. There may be problems there, but Jesus is the solution, and he gives us peace that passes understanding. Number three, mercy, but not any mercy. He gives you great mercy. Number four, hope. Some people say that all you need is food, water, and shelter to survive. But I would say you can't live without hope. I've seen people who are successful with millions of dollars still take their own lives because they might have had everything, but they still did not have hope. But hope is something that is given to us. And then he says this, you are born again. It means you have salvation. Your soul has been set free. Your past has been erased. Jesus has forgiven you. You have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. The old is gone. The new has come. Your sins have been cast as far away as the east is to the west. He no longer holds them over you. You have been forgiven, set free. You have been sealed. You have been saved. There is salvation for you. That's amazing. He goes on and says, you have power. This isn't willpower. This is God's power. This isn't self-help. This is God's help. This is the deposit of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead beats inside your chest. That's the power of God in your life. He says this, that we also have faith. What is faith? It is the assurance of things that are hoped for. It is something to build your life upon. It is pep in your step. It is a song in your heart. It is courage in your, your spine. It's faith. It's something bigger than you, that when everything falls apart, you can fall back on it. You have faith. And then lastly, you have joy. Happiness and joy, they are different. See, happiness is circumstantial. Joy is supernatural. Happiness is temporal. Joy is eternal. Whenever the founding fathers were writing the Declaration of Independence, here's what they said. Every person is guaranteed three things. Life, liberty, which are both under attack right now, but life and liberty and what? The pursuit of, of happiness. Life and liberty are guaranteed. Happiness, you're on your own. Good luck. You're not guaranteed happiness in America. You're guaranteed the pursuit of happiness, but it's not a guarantee. So you have to fight for it. You have to earn it. You have to work hard for it. And if you finally get it, hold on really tight because at any moment, it could be stripped away from you. That is the reality of the human experience, but not for the Christian. That's right. Because happiness 
and joy are different. Happiness is what you have to pursue. Joy is a gift that God gives. It is something that God in his power and his spirit pursues after you. Here's how I know this. Because for the joy that was set before him, Christ Jesus endured the cross. Through any moment, any situation, any season, any circumstance, joy is a blessing and a gift that is available for you because of what Jesus has. These are the great blessings, my dear Christian friend, that you have because of Jesus. Blessed be the God of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again into a living hope. These are the blessings that you have. Do not forget these. Write them down. Tattoo them on your forehead. Whatever you have to do. Because there's also burdens in life. And if all you do is focus on the the burdens, then you're going to forget about the the blessings. The blessings of God will far outweigh the burdens of your life. But at the same time, we have to be honest and real about the burdens of life. We can't just be those Christians who put our head in the sand and ignore reality and just say, everything's going to be great. Give my life to Jesus. No problems here. I'm just going to spend the rest of my life skipping, eating Skittles, singing hymns, and cotton candy. Everything's fine. I'm going to die and go meet Jesus one day. No, no, no. There's something called life, and life is hard. And in this life, there there are still many, many burdens that we we all experience. So we need to count our blessings, but at the same time, we need to consider, consider our burdens. I love what he says here. He says, various trials. You know why he says various trials? Because... It's not one size fits all. They come in like a variety pack, (laughs) right? Get a little bit of this, get a little bit of that, get a little bit of this. All of a sudden, oh, no, it's a variety of trials. And, And sometimes they come one at a time, but a lot of times they come all at once. This is what psychologists would call a compounded grief. It's where you get hit by one thing, and before you had the opportunity to process it, you get hit by another thing. And then you get hit by another thing, and then another thing, and another thing, until eventually, that's just the world that you live in, right? You're like a fish that doesn't even recognize it in water. You're a person who doesn't even recognize that you're in grief, that you're in a trial. It just becomes second nature. It's just just normal to you because you're burdened so much. And I want to be honest that our job is not to compare each other's burdens. That's what we like to do sometimes. I'll see your burden. I'm like, oh, yeah, but here's my burden. Let's see whose one's bigger. We shouldn't compare our burdens. We should bear one another's burdens. And that's what I want to do right now because I know that there are many of you who you're like, Pastor, I want to believe I'm blessed, but right now I just feel so burdened down by life. And so I want to take a moment and just consider what these burdens are. The first burden that many of us wrestle with is relational burden. It's it's marriage problems, relationship problems, family problems. Kids are growing up, new life stage, new emotions and hormones. You feel like you're a failure. As a parent, there's these relational burdens, relationships at work or friends falling apart can have real stress on a human in your life. Number two, physical burdens. Right now there's people watching online because they can't be in person, not because they don't want to be, but because of a sickness or a disease. Right before we left on our vacation, my daughter Ruth is about 
11 o'clock, maybe midnight. She went into anaphylactic shock, and we didn't, we didn't hear her until eventually we heard her cry, and it sounded weird. Ashley got up and went. Her throat had completely closed up. And if we didn't hear her crying, then we could have woke up that morning, and she would have been dead. So we take her to the hospital, and the doctor, they want to run tests on her. So as a three-year-old, she's going to have to get all these allergen tests because there might be something that she could be allergic to. What is that? That's a, that's a physical burden. And it weighs on you. As a father, it weighs on me. Every night when she still sleeps, I check. Just make sure she's okay. Which causes emotional burdens, depression, anxiety, sadness. There's, there's cultural burdens. I mean, parents are worried about what their kids are being taught in schools. We have people in our church who they're being forced to take critical race theory training at work or put their pronouns in their bios. I mean, when you look at society that we're in and the upcoming midterm elections, you know, Texas is going to be a key battleground state. Abortion is going to be, Second Amendment is going to be hot topic issues. You're looking at taxes, all these different things. And it can, it can create a lot of burden on you. Like, I mean, just filing your taxes normally is anxiety rate. Imagine 87,000 new IRS agents with guns while you do it. Like, that's going to be it's a cultural burden. And all this adds to what is known as just a spiritual burden. Your soul is heavy. You're weighed down. And you're wondering, like, why is it so hard for me to pray? Why is it so hard for me to stay focused when I read my Bible? Why do I leave church still feeling heavy? It's because there's a spiritual burden. You need to understand something is that you are a holistic human being, mind, body, and soul. And what, do you, what happens to your mind and what happens to your body has a direct effect on what happens to your soul. Right? And so, so what happens so oftentimes is we feed our mind and we feed our body and we starve our souls. What we need to do is feed our souls so it can nourish and bring life to our mind and our bodies as well. But this all adds up. How many of you just feel this? Let's just be honest in the room and just admit like, yeah, it's pretty hard right now. My hand's raised. It's really hard. It's tough. It's hard. Maybe you didn't feel safe to raise it in church, but I want you to know like, it's a safe place. Because if you just look around, there's hands raised everywhere because we're all going through it together. So here's what I want to do. I want to just take a moment, and I just want to pray for those of you who are burdened. I just feel impressed by the Holy Spirit to take, to take just a moment and pray for those of you who are burdened. If someone next to you raised their hand, could you just put your hand on their shoulder and just pray over, Father God, I see my brothers and sisters here in this room right now. They are burdened. You are the great burden bearer. I just pray over their souls right now that they would be encouraged and built up, they would be flourishing, God. God, I pray for the burdens that they are in, Lord, that they would not beat them up or turn them bitter, but God, that you would work all things to the good of those who are called according to Christ Jesus. I pray over them now in Jesus' name. Amen. What do we do? We, we count our blessings, we consider our burdens. The number three, we have to continue in our obedience. He says that you might obtain the outcome of your faith, what? The salvation of your soul. Listen, I know that it's hard, but don't give up. You're here. Yes. You're here. You, you made it. 
here. Look how much you've gone through and you're still here. Don't give up. I know it's difficult, but don't quit. When you're going through hell, don't stop. Continue in that obedience. Don't give up. Don't give in. Listen, I know that it's hard, but don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your faith. Don't give up. Don't give in. Persevere. Press forward. Press on. Keep moving. Why? Because in the end, you will obtain what? The salvation of your soul. Do you know what the most precious thing in the universe is? It's your soul. How much is your soul worth? Do you know how much your soul is worth? Here's how much it is. For God so loved your soul that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. How precious is your soul? It cost Jesus his life. Your soul is so valuable that God sent his son Jesus to shed his blood so that way your soul may be redeemed. Don't trade your soul for something else. Don't trade your soul for other people's opinions, for wealth, for a promotion at your job. Don't trade your soul for a relationship. Don't trade your soul for anything because there's nothing more valuable than the human soul. And so don't make a permanent decision on a temporary burden. Give your soul to God. Continue in the obedience. Continue in your faith. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing on. And here's what I want you to know is that you always find what you focus on. Right? If you're, if you're focusing on the burdens, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find the burdens. If you're focusing on the negative, you're always going to find the negative. If you read the one-star reviews, that's all you're going to see in life is the negative, the critical. If you're looking for a reason to be offended, the sermon would have done it by now. (laughs) But if you're looking for a reason for hope and for grace and for mercy, and for salvation, and for power. If you're, looking for, if you're looking for redemption, if you're looking for joy, guess what you're gonna find? You're gonna find it all over the place because you always find whatever it is that you're looking for. Do not focus solely on the burdens to the point to where you forget about the great blessings that God has already given you. You will always find whatever it is that you focus on. And so Peter wants them to focus on the blessings even in the middle of the burdens that they bear. Which leads us to our third and final point. You are elect, you're in exile, you are blessed, you are burdened. Number three, you are here, but you're not yet home. Look what he says as we close here today. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. And inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that now have been announced to you, those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things on which the angels long to look. Question for the prophets. Did they fit in? No, No, they they were weird. They were weird. I mean, like, God had one guy lay on his side for like 40 days and then turn on the other side. His name was Ezekiel and eat his food cooked off a pile of cow's dung. They were weird. 
Like Jeremiah was the weeping prophet because he was like a little emo kid and cried everywhere he went with a journal. Like me in high school, probably. They were weird. They didn't fit in. John the Baptist, the final prophet in the line, ate bugs and honey. Weird. And you know what? None of them needed a retirement plan because they all lost their lives. The apostles, he talks about those who have preached the good news. The apostles, how'd it go for them? Every single one of them died, except for John, boiled alive. And they still didn't die, so he went and wrote three more books of the Bible after that. Didn't end well for them. Right now, you may feel like, I just don't fit in. I just don't feel like I belong. Consider yourself in good company. You're in the company of prophets. You're in the company of apostles. You're in the company of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the midst of his own sufferings. He never faltered. If you feel like you don't fit in, it's because you don't. You ever feel like this world just doesn't feel like home? You know why? Because it's not. You're an exile. You're a sojourner. You're an alien. You're just passing through. Heaven, my friends, is our home. Heaven is our home. Let me give you an analogy. Me and Ashley, we just got back from vacation. We stayed at a nice hotel, and, but it wasn't really my vibe, right? The walls were peach, and the shower had, you know, pressure in the shower. The bed wasn't super comfortable, and, and the kitchen was a little cramped. But you know what? I decided I'm just going to suffer for the glory of God in Florida. <laughs> But you know what I didn't do? I didn't go buy a new mattress. I didn't get a plumber to come look. I didn't paint the walls, and I didn't demo the kitchen. You know why? Because it wasn't my home. I was just passing through. And I think for some times, you have to consider this. As a Christian, if in this cultural moment you are uncomfortable, maybe it's because you become too comfortable in this world. If you see things and you're like, that makes me uncomfortable, if you hear messages like this one today and you're you're uncomfortable inside you're like pastor i know what you're saying is true but it makes me uncomfortable you know why because you're just too comfortable you've turned a, a hotel into your home by the end of that week you know what i was doing i was i was longing to come home i couldn't wait to come and to hug my girls. I couldn't wait to sleep in my own bed. I couldn't wait to come back to church. You know why? Because this is my home. This is my home. I did think about staying in Florida for a while, but this is my home. <laughs> Heaven, my friends, is your home. And so, so, so for those of us who are, are feeling a little crazy right now, people might say things about you. They might ostracize you, ridicule you, get up and walk out of your sermon. And you might feel like something's wrong. You might feel the fear to cower or to shrink back or to, I just don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to share my faith. I'm not going to be bold. And they'll say things like, well, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Listen, I'm not worried about being on the wrong side of history. I would much rather be on the right side of eternity. Because at the end of the day, that is the only thing that matters. This life is short. Hell is hot and forever is a long time and everybody spends eternity somewhere. 
I don't care about being popular. I don't care about being liked. I don't care about going viral. I don't care about people's opinions of me because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is when I stand before the Lord Jesus face to face and I hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I am not God's editor. I am God's messenger. It's my job to preach the word. It's your job to make a decision. And I know it's not popular to talk about hell. I know it's not popular to talk about sin. I know it's not cool, but I'm not here to be cool. I'm here to be clear. Man is destined to die once and stand before the judgment of God. And on that day, we will all have to give an account for how we lived. And history will unfold. And the prophets will be vindicated. And the apostles will be vindicated. And Jesus Christ will be glorified. And this world will burn and will be destroyed. And a new heavens and a new earth will be created. And history is gone and eternity is forever. I don't care about being on the wrong side of history. I want to be on the right side of eternity. Life is short. Hell is hot. Forever is a long time. And everybody spends eternity somewhere. You're passing through. This is not your home. The question is, where are you going to live forever? There's only two options. For the Christian and for the non-Christian. For the non-Christian, listen, this life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. I love you. I'm glad you're here. But this life is as close to heaven. And so if you want heaven now... Go, eat, drink, sleep, be merry, for tomorrow you die. You don't know how long you got. If anything, in the last two years, we've seen how fragile life has become. And you can eat your broccoli, you can drink a bottle of water, and you can get two vaccines and triple boosted. One day you're still going to die. So enjoy your life. Do whatever you want. Be as hedonistic, given to every single pleasure, desire that you ultimately crave because this is as much of heaven as you're ever going to get in this world. Enjoy it. But for those of you who are Christians, this life is as close to hell as you'll ever be. And one day... On that side of eternity, every burden will be lifted. You will be home. Every sickness will be healed. Every hurt and heartbreak will be made whole. And every tear that you've cried while in exile in this world will be wiped away. And though you don't see him now, you love him. But one day you will see him. And you'll open up your eyes in eternity. And you'll see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of our King. It'll be worth it.
and it'll be worth it. You're here, but you're not home. So here's what I want to do to close. I want to issue a a challenge and a thought that's going to guide the rest of this series. So you write it down. It's the last line as we close. If you want what everybody else has, then do what everybody else does. If when you survey society and you scroll through your social media and you, you look at what's happening in our world, if you think, yeah, I want that, then just do what they do. If you want what everybody else has, do what they do. But if you're like me and you're like, yeah, I don't want that. I want something better. I want something different. Then you have to dare to be different. So what I want to do is I want to give you an invitation to be different, to be weird, to be crazy. Stop trying to fit in because God has created you to stand out. 